Based on this perspective, I'd like to discuss the main elements that characterize uberization and then present the results of these two empirical studies that I have conducted in Sao Paulo. Why I'm going to present them? Because with the resellers, I could think of this thing of, because now it's like more than 1 million and 5,000, 500,000 resellers only in Brazil for only one brand. If it, Think of other brands are more resellers, uh, only for this brand, Natura. And the main question when I did my research was how, how the management and the control of this multitude of works, workers is operating. Because like this huge army of resellers uh, working for only one company, how, how could we think about it? So I think this now helps us to understand uberization. And with the motorcycle couriers, I could follow, it's a research that I've been doing the last five years, I could see they becoming formal workers, then formal workers, and now app workers, because the apps like this is a, a picture of a, of a strike they did against an app company. So the, the, the app companies of delivers are already organizing this sector. So, when you think about uberization, uh, I think there are some elements that are important to highlight. Uh, uberization consolidates the passage of the worker to a micro-entrepreneur, or maybe we could say a nano-entrepreneur, <laughs> I don't know if it makes sense in English, but, uh, which is permanently available to work. Uh, minimum guarantees are taken away, while the worker remains subordinated. So this is really important to understand this relation between being an independent work but being subordinated at the same time. Uh, companies that work, that are promoting uberization, they appear as a sort of mediators and not, they are not hiring these people, so they seem to just make a mediation. Um, that provide the infrastructure that allow their partners to carry out their work. Uh, and uh, even if we think beyond digital economy, uh, we can already see this becoming kind of generalized as a possibility for the future of the world of work, like to have companies that they only provide the infrastructure and you as a partner, you do your job. So, and there's no employment relationship anymore going on. I think this is a, a strong uh, trend we can map to the future of work in, in Brazil and in globally. And to understand that all this, the, the, besides that, besides eliminating labor rights and everything, I think there is a change also in the conception of what, what the worker is. So we have to use two different categories that match with each other when it comes to the kind of worker that is being produced by uberization. Uh, first, as I said, the self-employed nano-entrepreneur, but also the amateur worker. Uh, and a productive amateur worker. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit better, a little better, these categories. So this definition allows us to think of a progressive lack of concrete forms of labor 
which is taking place at the consumption sphere. So when you think about YouTube, when you think about internet banking, this kind of activities that are not work, they don't have the form, concrete form of work, but in the end they function as work. Like if you see the relationship with the bank, it's very clear this. You, you are not working for the bank when you are a consumer accessing your internet and doing all the transactions you need to do, uh, but you are allowing the bank to get rid of lots of workers uh, and saving costs uh, uh, related to labor. And so this is not work. This doesn't have the concrete form of work, but it's functioning as work somehow. Uh, but amateur work can be much more recognizable. Like, I don't know if you know the sites like Innocentive or the site uh, Amazon Mechanical Turk. I don't know if you heard of that. It's like the sites that big companies are, are related to the sites and they offer many tasks that you as a consumer can, can achieve and you are paid for that. But this is, you are not a worker at this moment. You are like a kind of user, of an online user that access these tasks. No? So this is a very new kind of, and this is related to, I don't know if you know about the debate of crowdsourcing. This is uh, in the center of what is called crowdsourcing now. That's when you outsource the work not for uh, some workers or for some subcontracted sub firms, but to a multitude of workers that are not workers, they are online users, something like that. Uh, so, barization refers to a new kind of outsourcing that might, at the same time, compete and complement the classical one. So, this is a question that is, I don't think is clear enough, uh, it's not possible to be clear now, uh, if this kind of outsourcing, we like with the motorcycle couriers, the classical outsourcing model cannot compete with this new kind of uberization, but at the same time it can match. So I don't know if this is going to to beat the old, the old classical model or it's going to complement or maybe both. Um, the app companies, they transfer risk and cost not to other subordinated companies, but to a multitude of available and engaged independent self-employed contractors. Um, we can also think about uberization, that these app companies lack the traditional material aspects of a company, but have high visibility. They are not tangible, but at the same time, they have high visibility, like Uber. It's, uh, although they appear as mediators, they define the criteria of evaluation of the partners, they define the price, the commission, and consequently, the gains of the workers. However, in practice, the subordination is managed by software and online platforms. But the execution, as I said before, of control over labor is actually done by the multitude of consumers. The evaluation will define the access of the worker to the very compet competitive universe of the tasks that are offered to him. 
we know this about Uber, no? How it's become competitive among the drivers and it's harder for the driver to get the tasks and the way he's evaluated defines the access he has to more or less uh, rights he can do. Uh, so we have informal ways of defining and promoting the productive of the worker. Uh, independent workers have to function as a multitude and the same goes with the multitude of the, what I say, of what I call surveillant consumers because they are the responsible people for evaluating the drivers or the app workers all the time. Um, and I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this debate with crowdsourcing, but I, I'm referring to crowdsourcing, meaning these new forms of transfer of work that get rid of a series of labor costs, of labor rights in activities that lack any possible definition of professional work. But however, I prefer to use the term multitude instead of crowd because it seems to me it allows us to think as well in new forms of political organization and resistance that might come with this new form of labor control and organization, like this one we're seeing here. Uh, is the multitude of app workers uh, working, <laughs> using their, their resources as, as being a multitude as a, um, um, as a means to resistance. So I'd like to, to start talking about the natural resellers, uh, to think about this, how this, these features that we see with Uberization actually are not that new and they are very connected to this precarious kind of work and even more with kinds of, of work that don't have the, sh the shape of work, they, don't, they are not recognizable as work, as I saw with these resellers. So the resellers in Brazil, they, have an they are, can be considered informal self-employed. Um, there is no legal, uh, they are connected to what you call direct sales system. It's like Avon resellers here, uh, you have these this local legislations around the world that enables the companies to recognize the sellers as commercial um, service providers. So it's a commercial relationship, not an employment relationship. Uh, Natuda, this company, you know Natuda, no? uh, this company I study is a Brazilian multinational. I think you, you know this in Argentina, yeah. it's very strong as well, of beauty products. It has internationalized its distribution to Latin America and some European countries, in addition to establishing a research and development center in France. It recently assumes, uh, no, it recurrently assumes leadership in the Brazilian market of hygiene and beauty sectors. Uh, so it's a very powerful company in Brazil and this company has no stores. Now it's changing a little bit, they're changing their model, business model, but until 2014 they had no stores. So its entire distribution is handled by this army of 1,500,000 resellers uh, made of a huge majority of women. 
the main aspects of the analysis that contribute to the debate of Uberization uh, are the wide variation in the social profile of these women, so which leads us to understand how this work, that is an informal work, uh, is barely recognized as work and how it can match with other activities and with other different jobs. Uh, we can see this combination between entrepreneurship and the lack of concrete forms of labor, which enables us to think in terms of amateur work and a productive amateur work. So what I've seen in my studies, domestic workers, teachers, police investigators, secretaries, receptionists, nurses, university students, housewives from low income, housewives of high class, um, women from all social classes, women with no formal schooling to those with PhDs, even I was selling Natura for a friend. Like <laughs> the fact is that the socioeconomic profile of the resellers is extremely broad. Uh, and their relationship with the the, this job, and in my book I don't even call it a job, I say it's an activity because it doesn't have the, the form of a job, but the relationship with that also varies. Uh, some sell as their main occupation. I found women that were selling eight hours per day, five days per week, old women that now uh, the competition is growing so fast and they cannot compete with the, the huge number of resellers. And they were selling Natura like for 30 years, doing this every day, and now they're just, they don't have any other thing to do and they cannot survive that. And for Natura, they don't have any kind of relation, employment relationship, so it's very complicated. So uh, we can find this, these women that have that have this as a main occupation. We can find women that sell the products in order to be able to buy them for, for their, their own consumption, paying less for that. So they, 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 they see the commission they get for selling the products as a discount, actually, because like if the soap uh, costs $10, it doesn't cost them, but it costs 10 reais, uh, what, how it works, the seller pays seven reais to, the, to Natura and keeps three reais for her. Actually, Natura doesn't pay the, the sellers, the seller who pays Natura, the client are paying the sellers. Uh, so they think, well, I can buy the soap for seven if I think about that. But there's a lot, there are a lot of mechanisms that put this woman to work. And uh, I, I won't talk this in a very detailed way because it will take long, but these mechanisms are operating all the time. Um, and finally, which I think is the most important thing for us to think about uberization, there are those women that combine their main occupation with the selling at the same time. So you're a secretary and you're selling during your working time. Um, and I, I say in my book that uh, this is a mean of informal intensification of labor and informal extension of labor time in a way that is not uh, sociably, socially recognized or 
it doesn't seem to have a political um, importance, but <laughs> I think it does. Um, so the lack of regulation as well as of concrete form of labor allows the activity to combine with other occupations during the working hours, um, be a reseller and a secretary at the same time, be a teacher and sell during class intervals, uh, sell during social gatherings, family parties. So they're selling all the time in different spheres of their lives. Uh, establish an informal shop. I found these women that they really built a shop of Natura, which is forbidden by the company, but they do that. And it's open 10 hours per day, six days a week. So what we see is that women, they define their personal strategies in, a, in order to uh, to earn more with the, the selling. And these informal strategies, uh, we can think of as the amateur work and uh, with Uber as well. well. I'll talk about it a little bit later. Um, so as self-entrepreneur, the resellers outline personal strategies that guarantee that this activity works alongside other occupations. That guarantees that the sales compete, complete I say complete the pores of their work day or becomes an informal method to extend labor time. Um, the research analyzes how an informal job carried out typically by women of little social importance operates as an extremely efficient means of transferring the costs and risks, risks of the distribution from the company to this giant arm of female workers. Uh, as I said, a series of mechanisms make these women invest in stocks and handle with the risks that come with that. So there's this transfer of risks from, comm from commercialization and from stocks from the company to the sellers. And if you want, I can explain this later. Uh, from the side of the factory, and this is really interesting, um, I say that resellers' informal work is translated into information. Uh, there is practically no storage in the factory, and production is carried out using the just-in-time method, so there's no stock in the company, they're producing just-in-time, and the, the rhythm of the, the production is determined de according to the flow of orders made by the resellers and tens of millions of boxes are, dis are dispatched throughout Brazil every day. So, and then we can see how we, um, the technological innovation allows this kind of, of, of work based on the multitude. So you have like uh, one million women selling when they want, in the way they want, whatever they want, because they are not obliged to have any kind of productive. And from the side of the, the factory, it's possible to, to have control and, and not to lose control over the production. So you, you produce uh, in relation to this completely uh, disseminated activity. It's really interesting when you go to the factory and you see that each reseller becomes a box <laughs> in the assembly line. So it's, it's is really powerful this um, 
In practice, the relationship between the company and, SAR and its arm of representatives is very similar to that of Uber and other apps. The company takes no responsibility uh, or onus for their work, aside from paying the commission on the products. The resellers, as the Uber drivers, are a number or maybe a profile among millions of active registration accounts, as this woman of, this woman of 60 years old that is selling. She's just a profile. If she stops selling, <laughs> it's another number that disappears in the registration and, and then new numbers will come, so that's how it works. Uh, the work of this multitude is subordinated to the demands of the company, yet ruled by undefined forms of control. The analysis presented in formal means of intensifying work or extending working day, um, based on the permeability of work that does not appear as work in other occupations and activities. Uh, when we look at this giant army of more than one million resellers, we can get closer to decipher this contemporary relationship between an entrepreneurship, giant adhesion to adhesion, you say, I don't, to informal work, and a sort of intangible, and at the same time, very effective labor control. Competition, the distinction between work and consumption, um, since the, the sellers at the same time are a reseller and a buyer and a consumer of the products, uh, and the uh, hard rules over the payment of the orders that are played by the company uh, are powerful means of labor control. So I try to, to discuss this. This is very informal, very intangible, but at the same time it uh, works very well and it's very powerful, this kind of control. Uh, when dealing with precarity and its specific form in uberization, the social phenomenon of adhesion to an amateur work must be recognized as something that is far from being a disposable part of the labor market. It mobilizes huge contingent of workers, is present in activities that blur the limits between work and consumption, and can be very profitable for the companies. Being an Uber driver or a cosmetic reseller are flexible occupations that do not guarantee a defined work identity. As I was talking about amateur work, an Uber driver is not a professional driver, uh, just as a natural reseller does not mean having this, the same identity as a professional saleswoman. <coughs> The activity of the resellers, in the same way as with the drivers, can easily be understood as a mere symptom of unemployment. So it's always they always talk about that. Ah, Uber is related to crisis, related to unemployment. You have more resellers when you have unemployment; it raises, and it's true. <laughs> like now, you, there must be a, a raise in the, the number of the resellers. But uh, we cannot think only about this. We cannot think about this only as a, a symptom of the crisis. No, uh, we have to go beyond this understanding. These occupations mobilize the engagement and self-management of the worker, 
mobilize, mobilize uh, his or her engagement with informal means of extending his labor time and of labor intensification. So these were the main aspects that I think um, Uber and Natura are related. So the motorcycle couriers, it was interesting because uh, I, it was possible for me to examine the establishment of this new form of organization of work, which I understand is uberization, and its consequence from different perspectives. Uh, the work of the motorboys is extremely precarious, risky, and socially invisible, as much as the resellers, but it's much more dangerous. Uh, it sheds light on the relationship between precarity and financial valorization. And these 300,000 workers are constantly, only in Sao Paulo, this number, no? Are constantly racing against the clock, even if this means risking their lives. In Sao Paulo, an average of two motorcycle drivers, not only, we call them motorboys, no? Uh, not only motorboys die two, two per day in Sao Paulo. Uh, the motorcycle is the most dangerous vehicle, so it's like it's 13% of the total fleet of Sao, pa of Sao Paulo is made of motorcycles, but they are involved in more than 40% of the fatal accidents in the city. Um, 30 years ago, this profession did not even have a defined name. Now it's motoboys or motofretista, so which is, it means they are regulated as professionals. Uh, and it increased and spread due to the combination of outsourced services and technological development. And is also associated with the urban development of financial centers and in under in under underdeveloped countries, underdeveloped countries. Companies of delivery were established in the 90s in Brazil, and by the 2000s, the majority of couriers were outsourced. Uh, in fact, I think this profession has grown together with outsourcing. It's a relation between them. Um, when working as outsourced employee, the motorboys can have different employment relations with the company. And this is interesting also to think about these personal strategies that define this kind of amateur work as well. In addition to being an informal employee, the motorcycle courier can work as, because many of them are still informal workers. They don't have access to labor rights. For those that are formal, they can be what they call esporadic, which means that in practice, although he is a formal worker, uh, he earns per delivery carry out carried out, so, uh, and the, the, the firms usually pay 60% of the value paid by the client, 60% uh, goes to the motorboy. So the sporadic worker aims to carry out the maximum numbers of deliveries possible during his work day. So this is the, the, the type we call in Brazil cachorro louco, the crazy dog. <laughs> I don't know how we could say this in English. <laughs> crazy dog. 
fine. <laughs> which is the guy that he, he's associated with madness, that he doesn't fear death, he's, he's doing crazy things in the traffic, he's fighting with the other drivers and everything. And they call, the, they call this guy the crazy dog. But actually, we're talking about a work productive, productive team. You know? So he's, he, he's fighting the time all the time just to earn more. Um, and uh, so the, this is the sporadic worker. Many of my interviews, they used to say, oh, I used to work as a sporadic, but then I got married, I had children, so now I work with contract <laughs> because it's more safe. To work with contract, is, it means that you are a formal worker, you are outsourced, but you work only for one specific company. Like if the university hires a company of delivery and this company provides a motorboy just to make the deliveries for the university. And these guys, they earn less because they have a, a fixed, how do you say, fixed salary. Um, but their work is a little bit safer. No? <laughs> so in this context, Online apps come to the market in around 2012. Um, they require that the motorboy is legally regulated as a professional motorcycle career, which is still is an option for the the this, the motorboys to be regulated or not. And these companies also require that uh, the motorboy is a legal micro entrepreneur. We uh, so. Uh, we have this in Brazil. You can you can be legally recognized as a micro entrepreneur, and then, then you can can give invoices and everything to the company. So at company lobby, which is the one they're using in the t-shirts, uh, is the most successful app in the in this market sector. In 2014, it had around 60 employees and thousands of motorboys partners, they don't disclose how many of them, as, as it's the same thing Uber does, but we know that in Sao Paulo, Uber has more than 50,000 people working for them, only in the city of Sao Paulo. Uh, at the beginning of 2016, Logi published the results of a survey that conducted, that they conducted with all their registered couriers, and I think this is interesting for, for us to, to think about this Uberized worker. 64% uh, of those interviewed affirm they use the app to earn more. 41% were former workers hired by an outsourced company and match the job with the apps with the, the work for these outsourced companies and 59% uh, were self-employed. Uh, it's clear that the transfer of management uh, and control over productivity to the worker is at the heart of Uberization. As with a natural representative, the Uberized motorcycle courier can establish different relationships with the work of delivering for the apps. It's possible to conciliate the condition of the formal worker with the micro-entrepreneur. I've seen this with many of my interviews. 
In other words, just like the secretary that sells cosmetics throughout the day, the worker defines his own strategies to fill the pores of their workday, combining the demands of the company for which he works with the opportunities for additional delivery offered by the app. Applications such as Uber and Logi shed light on tendencies that are operating with great strength with, within the Brazilian labor market. The conditions by which the worker is turned into a micro-entrepreneur are becoming, are becoming increasingly possible and generalized throughout the world of work, eliminating labor rights, transferring risks and costs to the workers, yet maintaining control over execution productive of work. Uberization relies on a lot of stable and socially established elements that structure professional identity, recognition of work and of the worker, and recognition of the work and the worker. To understand this aspect, the analysis examines the category of amateur work, which means activities that demand work may generate income or a reduction in costs or not, but are adaptable with other activities flexible and poorly defined, which can be adapted to other aspects of life and to other kinds of work. Furthermore, that in practice means that the worker is working more. More work does not necessarily mean higher earnings when one considers the labor time spent, the worker investments and the transferred costs and risks that he must deal with. Actually, there are some people studying how much the Uber drivers spend and how much they earn. And some people are concluding that maybe in the end, the Uber driver is paying to work due to the, all the costs it has with the car and everything. Um, this lack of a structured reference that pro provided stability to the workers' lives is not, however, and this is the point I want to finish with, new to Brazilian market. In reality, it underlines the trajectory of the majority of the economically active population in the country. A great deal of effort, not only in Brazil, was put into showing how informal work should not be considered as a disposable part of the labor market. Various studies demonstrate the links between formal industrialized work, home working, illegal work, migrant work, and productive chains of entire sectors and their corporations. Uh, and in Brazil, what we see is like today you are an informal worker, tomorrow formally employed, next year you are an entrepreneur that runs a tiny family business. This is the, the most of the, if you describe the tra trajectory of the majority of the population, it's, or maybe you are everything at the same time, as we saw with the motorbikes. In the interviews with the motorcycle couriers, the idea of getting by, we say vida são in Portuguese, stood out. One gets by through constantly moving between various occupations and employment statuses, legal and illegal, legitimate and illicit. The movements, simultaneously or not, among the networks established by evangelical churches, social programs are also included in this viração, this way of getting by. The motorcycle courier today was a welder yesterday and could be a waiter tomorrow. Uh, 
just to give you an idea of the, the trajectories that I see, I saw uh, randomly presented here, like Mauricio is still 25 years old, has been a motorboy for four years. Before this, he was a mechanic, worked in a printing company. He was a pizza maker, car parking, par car parking attendant and waiter. Adriano, 34 years old, was motorboy for 10 years, worked in a shoe factory, in street markets, car repairs and a car wash. So it's like that. Henrique, 58 years old, motorboy for 35 years, before he was an electrician. Uh, the other guy was motorboy for 10 years. He was a confectioner, a builder and a salesman in a construction material shop. So. And this is what I understand as vidação, and this is what I think uh, is very in the core now of what we call gig economy and what we call, we call amateur work. Why? Because uh, you don't have these stable categories that define the identity of the worker. So the worker is many things at the same time, and I think uberization counts on that. So the Uber driver, he's not a professional driver. He, is, he can be an engineer that is, is driving at night and working during the day. So uh, I think if we look at, uh, at the labor market and, and these uh, specific trajectories of these workers, we can see something that maybe is becoming more globalized this way of living and, uh, and losing the, the possibilities of having a uh, defined, structured identity. And this is very, this maps very well with this, uh, this condition of being a nano-entrepreneur. So these were the general aspects that I, I wanted to discuss and present. <laughs> Thank you for your attention. <laughs>